Welcome to Geographical Thinking, the podcast where you get ideas, stories, and conversations all through the lens of geography. I'm your host, Guan Yue. We know that cars and planes contribute to carbon emissions, but what is the carbon footprint created by traveling to a digital destination, like a website? How much CO2 is produced each time you spend a dull afternoon browsing the web to see the latest on Twitter or web shopping? It's very hard to tell until now. A new web app using Esri software estimates how much CO2 is produced each time you access a website. It's called digitalfootprint.earth, and it was developed at a hackathon. Sam Larson Disney and Yenis Panagis, web developers and friends, love to join hackathons in their spare time. They found Hack for a Sustainable Future, a hackathon that asked developers to build apps that address today's challenges from the perspective of geography. It was the first time they used Esri tools, and they won first prize. The duo first considered sustainability-themed topics like electric vehicles and carbon offsets, but ultimately, Sam and Yenis wanted to build something more relevant to their day-to-day lives. For developers, this meant connecting the idea of sustainability to the digital spaces they help build. They're joining me from England to share more of their story. Hi, Sam and Yenis. Welcome to Geographical Thinking. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Hi, nice to meet you. Sam, let's start with you. If I were to visit your application, digitalfootprint.earth, for the first time, what will I see? You'll see a search bar, primarily. At least, I mean, it's got multiple functions, but the primary function is a search bar that kind of looks a bit like Google. Uh, however, you're not t- typing in information you want to try and find out about. In our case, you're typing in a website address. Um, and when you type in that website address, whatever that might, in- whatever, uh, might interest you, whether that's Facebook or, I don't know, Instagram, wherever you spend a lot of your time, we will then go away, <laughs> do a lot of thinking in the cloud, and try and calculate and give you a good estimate as to um, what effect visiting that website is having on um, the world. Yeah, and the story doesn't stop there, right? Giving me back a number of how much CO2 that I'm creating by visiting this website, it goes further. Absolutely, because if we told you uh, a website produces 10 grams of carbon, what does that mean to you? Absolutely nothing. Nobody knows what 10 grams of carbon equates to. So instead, what we wanted to do was take it one step further. So we use maps from Esri uh, to show, to try and bring it into real life terms. So 10 grams of carbon, how far could you drive your car uh, with that amount of, uh, and produce the same amount of carbon? Uh, we, try and, we try and work it. We, we use measurements like Olympic sized swimming pools at certain points, you know, just to really try and make it easy to understand. And I like that it ties to my physical location. So I can understand from where I am located right now, how much driving am I doing that's equivalent of me visiting this website? How are the numbers, the CO2 equivalent of CO2 emissions are generated when you were designing it? Where are those information mined and how do you transfer that into what we see on the screen? So we look at a number of different statistics and a bunch of different information about each site when we do the audits. 
the most impactful metric that we tend to see is the page weight. So it's the amount of data that's transferred over the wire. We're sort of constrained by the limits of physics in the sense that it takes a certain amount of energy to transfer data through space and time. So we have some constraints imposed by physics and some constrained by how much data we try to transfer. So often, for example, when you have sites that transfer very large images at sometimes resolutions that are so big that you can't even tell the difference anymore, just transferring more data for the sake of it, they tend to transfer, well, create a lot more carbon as a result. So that's the primary metric that we use. And then we also use something called Google Lighthouse. Google Lighthouse is a tool that Google provides to audit sites and to basically get access to a bunch of information about where there could be problem areas. And we make heavy use of those statistics and then we analyze them, try to pull out the bits of information that we find useful to basically augment the other things with like a page weight score, a performance score, and a hosting score. The hosting score, we actually use an API that is, so an API is an application programming interface, which is a place where you can get data from somewhere else on the internet. So there's an organization called the Green Web Foundation, and we use their API to get the information about whether or not the hosting provider for a specific website is green. So then we can say, oh, the Green Web Foundation says that your website is hosted on green servers, because at the end of the day, the place where this carbon is produced is a server farm somewhere that sits somewhere where the cloud isn't actually somewhere up in the sky. It's a room full of a bunch of different computers <laughs> that are doing calculations. So most people would be really surprised to find out that the internet is responsible for roughly 1 billion tons of greenhouse gases a year. That's about 2% of the world's emissions. And I think it was Boston Consulting Group that did that original study a while back. So that took into consideration both of the physical infrastructure that are hosting these data, as well as the amount of the data that are transferred uh, through these websites. That's yeah, really exactly. That's really neat. What was shocking to find was that there were a number of reports from big organizations like BCG that suggested that the total carbon emissions of websites paralleled that of plastic and the airline industry, which are two of the biggest culprits for carbon emissions on the planet. And this problem is completely invisible and it is completely devoid of any regulation whatsoever, which is crazy. Are there other developers who are aware of the degree of this problem? I think as web developers, we all should be advocates for this. Um, and I think more, it's, it's getting more and more attention. However, I think that a lot of the things that we try to do as web developers actually head towards that same goal, even if it's unintentional. So we spend a lot of time in our jobs trying to make our sites faster, right? And the way we do that is by making our code more efficient. And if your code test is more efficient, it's using less energy anyway. So it's kind of like a byproduct, which is great. Um, but I think for, you know, thinking about green from the get-go isn't, isn't front of mind for most developers when they're coding a website or for most companies, I don't think, when they're saying we need a website spun up. Um, and I think if, if we made those scores more transparent, um, when we were building the application, one of the things that we, we decided to do was create a badge. So uh, as Yanis mentioned, we look at all of these scores, we distill that into a number, a score out of nine. And what we do is we, uh, we have a badge system whereby you can place a, a little tiny bit of code, three lines on your site, 
and it, um, it will generate a badge that sits in the footer of your website and shows the world what score your website has got. Uh, you can't cheat it either. If, if people attempt it, they can't, they can't use a different website address. It, it only works on the one you're on. Um, but that, if we could start kind of having something like that where, where companies are showing externally, this is, we've thought about this and you know, this, is, this is really important and this is our score and we're happy with it or maybe not so happy with it and we need to work on it. Um, I think slowly you'd start to see developers kind of start to think about this more and treat it like another one of those metrics like performance, right? Green should be alongside those and it isn't at the moment. That's a very intriguing idea. I was wondering if that's the direction where your product will go, this specific applications. What are you doing to promote it in the developer space? So when we first started and we did the hackathon project, it was like exactly like Sam described it. It was just a search bar and you could enter a site and it did an audit. And that audit was initially quite slow, but that's a separate story. Right now, when you go to the site, we sort of have two aspects to it. The story is the part that brings the data to life. And that, in our hearts, is, is very important because it puts everything in context. But then I think there's still not too much that somebody could actually do with that data. And what we've done since the original hackathon, actually, while we were at the pool at the Esri Developer Summit, after the, the sessions when we got back to the hotel, we essentially built out a sec second side to the application which lets you audit and maintain and collect statistics over time for websites so that you can try to understand exactly where the pain points are. And then we also try to use Lighthouse and other tools to extract ideas for how to improve. And we think over time that will have a bigger impact than the stories will to make improvements. What are the major categories of ways that someone can improve their website performance in terms of, you know, uh, be more sustainable? So big one is images because images seem to be the majority of data that is transferred over the web. Making your images smaller if they don't have to be that big can have a huge impact. I think it's also the lowest effort way that you could improve. The other thing is that a lot of websites have these things called scripts in the background. And scripts are invisible pieces of code that basically make the page come to life. And sometimes you load in a lot of those scripts. And although a lot of that data isn't seen, if those scripts aren't loaded in correctly, then that can mean a lot of data is being transferred to load up a really, really simple site. So if you start investigating and looking at what scripts your sites are pulling in and you start looking at whether you have very big images those are the two biggest impact areas the other one is you could use a foundation like the green web foundation to check what the hosting of your site is like if it's green hosted that's great that means that those hosting providers are doing more to sort of offset their carbon emissions if it's not a green hosting provider you could also choose to or consider to switch those are, I think, the main things that you could do. I don't know if I missed anything, Sam. Yeah, I mean, I, I was actually going to jump on and say it's not all technical things. Sometimes they're design mm -hmm. decisions too. So uh, something that I'm thinking of right now is the endless scroll on Instagram and Facebook and all those other sites. Every time you're loading in more images, you're effectively increasing that transfer of data and therefore the amount of carbon that is being uh, produced. So, I mean, if, if we could design apps as well in a way that you know are more conscious of that fact and maybe we do ditch the endless scroll i mean i, I think i think that's another uh, another way that we can think about this and and help improve the planet 
Does that tie into the user's responsibility as well? Am I hearing that the best way or the fastest way to cut down that carbon emission from an end user's perspective is to reduce or limit the amount of time and visit that we have on social media or some other web pages that we don't necessarily have to see? It's interesting. Um, I think that the it's, it should be companies first, right? I mean, I, I feel like as it's an invisible, it's, a, it's an invisible thing. We don't see it. If you know, Instagram at the top said how much carbon had been produced while you were scrolling, maybe you'd be more conscious of it, but maybe that should come from Instagram and maybe it shouldn't. I mean, yes, absolutely. We should all be thinking about it. Um, but I think it's easy to forget. And, you know, a lot of these apps are very addictive. Um, and because of that, I think it should be on the companies first. Absolutely. Right. That asymmetrical information. If we were to make that information, that carbon footprint more accessible and transparent for everyone, then there's more conscious choice and decisions on both sides of the company and the individual. Yeah, something else that I've just thought as well is that a lot of energy providers provide smart meters for electricity now. So you can see exactly how much usage you are using throughout the day at any given point. You could theoretically do the exact same thing on a computer and have an idea of how much how much carbon is being produced. Very interesting. I, I heard this hackathon is your first time using Esri tools. How do you find about the uh, developer platforms, RGS platform, that specific tool that Esri provides for developers like yourself? How would you talk to your other developer friends about it? I think when we first started using it, it was a little bit overwhelming. I mean, I didn't realize that it was such a big interface and such a big API. There's such an extensive range of tools and features that you can use. And it's easy to get lost at the start. But it's also really interesting once you start to be able to understand how you can put them all together to build something that actually helps people and helps users. When we went to the developer conference, I think that was even more sort of put in the spotlight how many different features there are within the Esri universe. And I think the JavaScript API in particular is easy to use, but a lot of that ease of use for us came from the documentation in the code. So you can actually look inside the code packages when you install them and you start using them, and that had some of the best documentation. Now you're showing how nerdy we really are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, are, are there other products and web applications that caught your attention in this hackathon? To be honest, Yanis and I kind of have a rule, which is, when we finish the hackathon, if you start looking at your competition, it actually makes you feel quite nervous, uneasy. It actually makes you doubt yourself and your own project more. So that weight in between submitting your project, the way it works is you submit your project and then they release a project gallery. And it's got, I don't know, I think, I don't know how many entries there were, 30 to 50 entries. And, but then there's, a, there's a, a week and a half normally or two weeks before you find out who's won. And it's so easy to obsess and look at those other projects and go, are they better? Are they worse? There were some great entries. Don't get me wrong. After, after I, but for those two weeks, we try, and, we try and stay off it, I think. You know, it's just better for our mental health. Um, but after that moment, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, looked around. Uh, but th I think the thing that made our project different and the reason that we kind of had an edge was because everyone, when they think maps, they immediately jump to geography first. And we didn't do that. We tried to bring something that wasn't 
geographical and make it geographical, if that makes any sense at all. That That is a very interesting idea. So was that idea, you know, how, how because the tagline for this hackathon is from a geographic perspective. When you were thinking about this challenge you want to take on, was it natural to you that, oh, I'm not going to start from what the hackathon is going to ask for. I'm just going to use it as a way to communicate, to tell my stories. Absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, we immediately jumped to problems that were very geographical based. We looked at uh, electric cars and char uh, charging points for optimizing charging points. We looked at uh, trees and there's, there's a whole lot of um, initiatives around planting trees to offset carbon emissions, but where you plant those trees actually makes a really big difference. So looking at where you could plant trees to maximize that. Um, a lot of those actually would have been in a way more complex than this because they're, 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 they're computations that are difficult for computers to do. Um, Yanis can probably talk more about the maths involved in that, but Yanis is the mathematician behind most of the ideas. I just make it look pretty. That's my job. <laughs> so Yanis, do you have more to add to that? I think there's a lot of complex, there's a lot of complexity in a lot of the problems that you can solve with maps and with math. And what we do is we try to use maths and maps together to solve problems and to estimate and visualize carbon footprints on the web. And when we started looking at electric car, uh, so when we started looking at charging points for electric cars, what became very quickly apparent was that it was a complicated optimization problem. And we had a time limit as well for the hack. And we wanted to, to build something and deliver it within the time constraints. So then we started trying to build something. We came to roadblocks that we understood to be more complicated when we saw that there were several PhDs that failed to optimize the way that you placed charging stations for electric cars. And you can kind of tell very quickly that if you can't do it in a PhD, there's probably not much luck if you try to do it in a hackathon. <laughs> And then we had this other idea when we thought, okay, is there any way we can make it more personal? And that's when we came across the idea for digitalfootprint.earth. So it was really trying to do something else, realizing that it was way more complicated and we were a bit over our heads, and then finding something that was actually much more personal and in a way more interesting. Yanis is very good at playing devil's advocate with ideas. I, I, you know, I think we have the first gear when I latch onto it and try and roll with it and he won't let it happen. And, you know, it's for the best. It really is. <laughs> but I love how that you're both using maps as a way to narrate and to reach your audience. What's the next step? Any other thoughts of going beyond the developer communities and taking your application one step further? So we want to monetize part of it and we want to keep part of it free and open. So the bit that always will remain free is the bit that we think is important, which is that story that you, you mentioned right at the beginning, right? So allowing people to see what damaged websites are doing. However, we also thought it would be interesting to give companies the ability to log in and monitor their specific websites and the ones they care about. Um, and if we can kind of get a system in place whereby they say, this is the URL I'm interested in, and we can then go and audit that at a frequency. So maybe once a day or once a week, we'll go and check whether the, the amount of carbon it's producing has gone up. And if that's the case, maybe send them an email, which hopefully will not just stay, stay in their inbox forever. I'm sure Yanis will tell you, but leaving uh, emails in your inbox after reading them is one really bad way. 
to just have carbon building up for nothing. But um, yeah, abs- uh, so, I mean, if we can find a way to monetize it for companies, I think that'd be really good. Uh, but there will always, always, always remain a free element to it and, and you know, allowing everybody to kind of see, because this is a, it is a big issue that is invisible right now. We want to make sure it stays that way. Ennis, anything else you want to share? I think what's really interesting is if you go to the very last page of the story, if you make it to the end and you sort of click through and go on your digital footprint journey or whatever we want to call it, there's a a page there about what you can do as an end user to improve your ecological footprint from your digital activity. There is a lot of things that you can do even if you don't maintain websites. So one example of that is, like Sam said, centered around emails. Every time an email is sent, it uses carbon too. So the, the, the single best thing that you can do, first of all, is unsubscribe. There's so many emails piling up in everyone's inbox, and most of them we don't read. And if we unsubscribe from those emails, we're not only sort of cleaning up our inbox so that we can find the emails we care about, we're also doing good for the planet. So the second thing around emails is clearing up your inbox because when you leave stuff in there, servers are running to store that data and to keep it so that you can access it whenever you need it. So if you don't and you delete it, then you basically do a lot of good for the environment as well because you're reducing your carbon footprint. Those are the two things around emails. And then I guess the third aspect is I think there needs to be some kind of pressure from users to get companies to care about this, especially when caring about this could conflict with the interests of the companies themselves. So I think you need people to say, hey, this matters to me, for a company to say, this matters to us too. So I definitely agree that the initiative should come from companies to champion this and to say, we want to reduce our digital footprints from our, from our online products, but they need to know that users care about it very often to actually make that jump and to, to make those changes. Very much like the consumer industry, that now we see more and more the influence coming from the, the buyers what you are telling me is that in our online presence, our end users need to start the same and championing some of the changes that we'd like to see for a more sustainable future. Well, thank you very much, Sam and Yenis, for joining us today on Geographical Thinking. Thanks for opening up a lot of windows for me personally to look into our online presence. Thank you very much for having us. It's been great. Thank you so much. Sam Larson-Disney and Yenis Penegis, two developers who created digitalfootprint.earth, a web application that uses a 3D globe to show you how much CO2 emission is created from your visit to a website. This podcast is brought to you by Esri Canada, a technology company that empowers people and organizations by the science of wear. Bye for now.